Daniel um, has observed in verses 1 through 3 that the 70 years Jeremiah spoke about is nearly complete and he's turning to God based upon those statements of those promises to seek God by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So that's kind of the background, that's the setting of what he's going to say here. He knows from Jeremiah that God intended for the exile to last for 70 years. He's been almost 70 years now in captivity himself, and so the time's nearly up. And as we've made the point last time, you know, biblical or proper praying often is based upon promises God makes and and statements that we know are God's will. And so that's what you see in this chapter. So what's he going to say to God? Well, this prayer, I think, is just a tremendous um, expression. Um, Maybe not like prayers you've ever prayed, but if not... Maybe we need to learn from this one. So, let's go ahead and read the whole prayer, and then we'll try to think through it a little bit. Uh, Would somebody read 4 to 19? I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who, who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us, because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as at this day. We have sinned, we have done with you. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all 
who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Very good. This is quite a prayer, powerful prayer, uh, that... You know, I think we need to really stop and, uh, you know, give some thought to. He starts out maybe uh, in a way that would seem uh, similar to prayers that we've heard. You know, he's praising God as the great and awesome God and who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness. Of course, that's what uh, Daniel is hoping he keeps again in connection with their situation in the 70 years being up. But after that... From, say, 5 to 14, 5 to, to maybe 15, what's the theme of the prayer? You've done wrong. Yeah. Uh, how long does it take you to say we've done wrong? <laughs> if you really mean it, it takes longer than just a word or two, doesn't it? Well, it seems to here. Have you ever confessed like this? You know, what do you see as noteworthy in in this, you know, expression of, of their guilt and sinfulness? The entirety of it. How encompassing it is. It's not limited to one set of people. It's not just some partial turning away. Yeah, this is like, you know, no extenuating circumstances, no exceptions, no, you know, justifications. We all have just done horribly. And he just can't say that often enough. And I'm assuming you did through verse 5 at least. We, we did 4 to 19. Okay, so like in verse 5 you have... They sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned it aside for the commandments, all of which means basically the same thing, but he says it five times in that verse alone. He pretty much exhausted the Hebrew vocabulary for misdeeds in this prayer. He's got about everything, anyone that you want here, Josiah. I like, too, how that he doesn't necessarily assume that they're going to be forgiven for all of this. Kind of like Ezra in Ezra 9 when he prays, you know, he takes it very seriously. He doesn't just assume that God's job is to forgive them. Yes. And, you know, he seems to be confessing this for more reasons than just trying to get forgiveness. You know, sometimes our confession can just be kind of, well, you know, kind of like you do with uh, your parents maybe sometimes. You know you have to say the right words so they'll relent from the punishment or whatever. <laughs> Alex. Um, I think it's really interesting that he really wasn't the reason that all of Israel was taken to captivity. He still considers himself in that party. Yeah! What are the pronouns that are used here? We and us. We and us. 
just how much of these sins and wickedness and not listening to God has Daniel himself, you know, engaged in? And what have we seen in Daniel in this book? We've seen him standing firm, right, following his, following God, not going off the rails. That's really uh, quite a contrast. I mean, you know, what if you had started with this prayer? Would you have expected Daniel to be the kind of person he uh, is presented as being? You know, this just doesn't fit the life of Daniel. You know, would you say about Daniel, he sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances and refused to listen to the prophets and, you know, all that? So why is Daniel including himself in this confession? Whether or not Daniel committed these sins on a public level, he still did them, just like everybody else did. It just seems, I mean, we have recorded Daniel doing great things, but he was still human. Uh, that may be one part of that. I mean, how should we see our own lives? Should we think of ourselves as being pretty much, you know, everything God would want us to be, and pretty much we've just kind of gone past, you know, that time of, you know, committing sins. We're, you know, that, I mean, I don't think that's the way we ought to see ourselves. Um, I've used this illustration before, but I think this is very helpful. Um, you know, when you look around in the room right now, what do you see in the air? Nothing. You ever seen the air in the light of the sun coming through the window? What's in this air right now? All kinds of particles. It's incredible. No. You ever done that? This <laughs> air is perfectly clean, but in normal houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, this isn't exactly a normal hop, but I suspect it will, uh, you know, but we'll share that characteristic anyway. You know, it's amazing. And, and it's so amazing because you just don't see it like this right now. You wouldn't think there was anything at all in this air, but it almost makes you afraid to breathe whenever you see it in the light of the sun. Now, what makes you see all that gunk in the air? The light being closer to the really powerful light. The closer we are to the Lord, the true brightness and glory that He has, the more we're going to see our sins, the, all the junk in our lives. If we're really distant from God, we may in fact think we pretty well made it. You know, pretty much, I think I've done it all now. What is? What more do I have to change? You know, but when we get really close to the Lord and we see His holiness and His righteousness, His purity and His heart, wow! So I think there's some truth in that. I think we would see ourselves as sinners if we have, you know, a proper perspective on ourselves. That may not be all there is to this. Because I'm not sure Daniel intends just to be confessing his own imperfections in this. Why else do you think Daniel does the we business here? Well, he is a part of the nation that is being punished. Part of the nation that sinned. Mm -hmm. You know, how 
do you deal with uh, things going on at your church, you know, where, where you are a member? Do you ever do one of these numbers? You know, those people down there that go to church with me, I mean, they're just really, you know, they're stuck up, they're not friendly, they're, you know, hypocrites, they're this, they're that. Do you see a problem when we start doing that? Who do you think I am? Yeah. <laughs> I share in that. I'm a member of that group. Now, I understand. I'll, I'll give this, you know, disclaimer. There are passages in which we see God judges individually, even in churches. I'd cite especially Revelation 2 and 3, and there were those who walked worthy in spite of the sins of the group, and God encouraged those who were walking worthy to stick it out and remain faithful. But there's a lot of passages like this where, (laughs) you know, Daniel, as a part of the nation sees these sins as being his sins as well. After all, he is a part of the nation. And you've got prayers like Ezra 9, where he's confessing their intermarrying with foreign women. he just gotten there, and as far as we know, he didn't have a foreign wife, and yet he feels the sense of guilt and shame and disgrace because he's one with them. He doesn't just say, you guys are doing this. He confesses our guilt. Sarah? And, uh, I mean, for Daniel and, and both, for, you know, some of the others, these men were leaders in the nation. And so part of it, part of this we may be, he's praying on behalf of all of the nation, and he has to include himself. Sure. Uh, just to make it obvious to everyone else that, you know, I admit this is, I'm, I'm part of this. Well, how do, you, how do you feel about those people who are always telling the people at their church how bad they are? Those guys have much influence? No. You know, that just, that just doesn't, doesn't sound good. It's not a good attitude. You know, I mean, if you're going to lead people, you've got to identify with them. You've got to share with them. And you've got to take some responsibility yourself for where the group is at. Does this remind you of anything, any Bible concept? Any Bible event? Ever been any any other time when somebody in the Bible sort of identified himself with uh, sins that were actually committed by other people? Yes, he did. And he basically said, you know, go ahead and cut me off if you're not going to accept my people. But I think Moses was foreshadowing Jesus. Jesus prayed, forgive us our transgressions. Well, and he took our sins upon him. You know, by his stripes we are healed. You know, I think Jesus, to a very great extent, shows that concept of identifying himself with our guilt, our sins, to provide the atonement for us. And so, you know, I mean, that idea of him taking our sins upon him, in one sense, that's what Daniel's doing. But not 
in, you know, only in one sense, because in fact, Daniel himself was a sinner, as we've already pointed out, and he shared personally in, you know, a part of this guilt. Uh, Jesus is the only one who his sharing in the sin was only taking others' guilt upon himself. Uh, but, but I think there's just a lot of great thoughts and concepts in that. I'm going to keep let you keep talking. Or I've got several more things to say as we go through this. What are you thinking? What are you seeing in this? What do you want to comment about? Yes. Among all this confession of sin, he draws out the contrast of all this shame belongs to us and all this greatness belongs to God in, in contrast to us. God is so good. And uh, he talks about to God belong compassion and forgiveness. Uh, Our guilt looks worse up against the Lord's righteousness and, and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, man, if we only compare ourselves with, you know, the... Uh, you know, serial killers of the day or whatever, we may look okay, but when we look up, up against the Lord, wow. I like how some of the things he praises God for, like in verse 4, he directly contrasts that with the way they've responded in verse 5. And the same in 7, like Travis just mentioned, God is righteous, but we are wicked. We're, we're put to open shame. Exactly. Exactly. So... How are your confessions? How are our confessions? Maybe we should say. Uh, do we confess our sins like this? With this much intensity? With this much... Um, I don't know. Does it take us this long? <laughs> you know? Or, I mean... I, wow. I mean, it's, it's so easy just to say... I'm sorry... You know, God, forgive me for this, forgive me for this, forgive me for this. Uh, if I've done anything wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's even worse. Or, what about this one? Well, you know, God, forgive me for all my sins because I'm just human and I sin often as we all do. Or something like that. That almost seems to pass it off as well as kind of the lot of our, uh, you know, nature or something. Uh, as opposed to really grieving our sins as we confess them, and really spending time confessing what we've done wrong, and humbling ourselves before God. In my own life, and in prayers I hear, I do believe confession is the weak link in the praying that I do or I hear. I I just don't hardly hear confessing Hardly ever in public prayer. Maybe God forgive us of our sins. But asking God to forgive us is not really the same thing as confessing. I don't know. Why is that? Do we need to work? Do we need to change? We'll probably think way too highly of ourselves. Again, I think what you said, we, we, I, I compare myself against all the other people that I know are not even trying to live godly, let alone those that I you know, see with greater faith and faithfulness. And, and even they are not the true standard. If you do something, have you ever done something that, that was pretty bad 
and like really hurt somebody you were close to. What did you do when that happened? I'm thinking, I don't know. Do you ever, you, if you didn't, you can still imagine this. Can you imagine maybe borrowing somebody's car and negligently wrecking it? And it was somebody we were close to. What would you, what would you do then? Say over and over how sorry you are. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just keep apologizing and keep grieving that? And even when they said it was okay, you'd still almost make a nuisance out of yourself apologizing. You just feel so bad. You know, just man, you didn't. You just wow, it just hurts you. And and hopefully you've never done anything you know really horrible uh, that that hurt somebody really horribly. But but you know, man, you can imagine how how hard that would be, how much you just apologize, 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 and just, you know, keep doing that. Do you see an inconsistency? Why is it that we don't feel that toward the Lord? Maybe it's what John says. Maybe we're just not seeing we've done anything that hurt him. Or at least not much. You know, we kind of minimize it, justify it, forget it, you know, Maybe we don't think about how much it hurt him. I don't know. Alex? I think one reason we don't um, confess that much compared to like earthly things, um, people we hurt, because we don't have like a physical thing, something that we can see and touch and actually realize I've done damage against God. Like Israel, they had captivity. And then even before then, they had sacrifices, animals they had to kill. And um, today, we just... I mean, God is so good to us. He's allowed us to access Him through prayer, and get. He's given made it so easy that it's difficult to actually see and feel that we've done wrong. Maybe, maybe our concept of God and our relationship to God lacks something, <clears throat> and so it doesn't seem that bad to us. I think that that's really. Uh, uh, part a big part of that. I don't think we we see how serious sin is. We're we're not conscious, and, and we may see it more in others even than we see in ourselves. But we uh, we tend to to fail to see how how bad and black sin is. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean. Should we, I mean, is it appropriate to, to have confession as a part of public prayer? And what, what would be the guidelines on that? You know, confession in public prayer would not be quite the same as confession in our personal prayers, would it? So, I mean, because I just don't, I mean, man, I just almost never hear hardly any confession in public prayer. So what do we need to what what do we need to think about in that? I mean, if we look at some of the examples here, Ezra, Nehemiah, some of those, whenever someone got up and made a prayer like that, it was a public, prevalent type of sin. It wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't one man 
the man leading the prayer confessing to adultery, it was the one man leading the prayer confessing that um, there are mixed marriages, there's adultery, there's lying and, and this type of thing going on here in this group and, and we need to deal with that. Exactly. I think that's a point that needs to be made and we can think about just a second. You know, it probably wouldn't be the thing we do in a public prayer to say, you know, I'm really sorry that I gossiped about uh, Mary Jo this week when I told everybody that she was doing this or that or whatever. You know, that may not be the time to do that. Uh, we would we would confess, to me, we would confess sins that may be just a part of our group experience. You know, we've we failed perhaps to, you know, worship as fervently as we should. We've we failed to encourage each other like we should or whatever. There's things that, that we're just kind of all a part of in our relationship. And then there are sins that are individual sins, but they're characteristic of us. You know, there are certain sins that a lot of us engage in, and certain failures that a lot of us have. And I think just confessing those for as as a part of, of our public prayers is perfectly appropriate. In uh, Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, he talks about confession. He talks about the seven A's of confession. And it's a seven-part ordeal. And honestly, it, it's exhaustive. <laughs> and exhaustive by the time you kind of start to finish. Uh, but he, he talks about acknowledging the hurt which you see, I think, here, like, against God. And he talks about accepting the consequences, which I think, again, you see here. And those, again, aren't typical parts of of my confession, especially to God. Uh, so I think those are good. So we really need chapters like this. We really need to stop and spend some time with Daniel 9, Ezra 9, and Nehemiah 9. Those are uh, easy to remember, and uh, those are great prayers of confession, group confession. And, you know, I think we've, we've got to change. My worry is, when I don't hear much group confession, I'm guessing there may not be much confession in individual praying either. I think for most of us, probably what we pray is, in group setting is somewhat a reflection of what we're praying individually. So we probably need to work on just having a whole different attitude toward our sins, a whole different attitude toward how we deal with that and confessing to God, and that should be reflected in our public prayers as well. I think this is a great prayer to really make us stop and reevaluate, you know, our praying. Cass. Let me ask you, is we, we constantly, whenever either we're praying by ourselves, we say, if we do something like really horrible, and we like, I don't know, murder someone, that's kind of graphic, but, um, uh, we kill someone, and then, you know, you know how guilty we would feel, and we constantly be praying to God and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and then we, what about, what if we lie? Do we really say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry, it's just a lie. All the sins are God, all the sins are the same as God's good. It's a sin. Now, I may have, like, I don't know. But I, it seems to me like that we, we we apologize more for the things that were bigger. And we don't really apologize for things that were really small. You know what makes a sin big? People know about it. 
usually if somebody else commits it. <laughs> Isn't that true? You know, there's nothing to minimize a sin like the fact I did it. You know, so we probably need to really uh, think about that because I think that is exactly what we do. You know, ours don't seem that bad. Yours do, but mine aren't. You know. Yes. I think something else that ties in with us not realizing the gravity of our sins, also not realizing the importance of forgiveness and the gift of that we have that it's so readily available. But I think also like what Alex was saying is we don't have a tangible way of, you know, seeing, oh, now you're forgiven. Like, okay, you know, there's not anything physical to represent that, you know, after, you know, we've asked for forgiveness. So I think we tend to not realize that we need it as badly as we do. Even if we realize, oh, yeah, I have committed a sin, we kind of think, but I've been doing that my whole life, and I'm, you know, getting on through, and we don't realize that, you know, what it really means. Absolutely. Back to the idea of just not taking sin seriously. You know, just kind of laughing it off. You know, just, I guess, maybe thinking, well, God will just forgive us, you know, or whatever. Uh, that's not the right attitude. I mean, what would it, What would you think if the shoe was on the other foot? Somebody borrowed your nice car and negligently, try to say that three times fast, wrecked it. And they just said, Oh, well, something happened with the car. You know, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Would that kind of hurt you? Mm-hmm. You know, you'd feel like, well, you know, I mean, it's not that you you want to just put them through misery, but you'd like for them to acknowledge that they wronged you. I mean, otherwise it's like, really, they don't really appreciate, you know, the favor you'd shown them. I, you probably had that experience with something. Or somebody really did wrong you and they just sort of just kind of brushed it off as if it was no big deal. That hurts. You know, we're not supposed to develop resentments about that, but wow, it's it's painful. Because it's like, it didn't seem to matter much to them. <laughs> I wonder how God feels. So really great um, prayer in this. And he finally comes down. Although it's still difficult for him to do this, he finally comes down to more petition. You know, when you really feel guilty, it's still hard to get over that. You know, now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt, under 15, with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we've sinned. We've been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and our uh, the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach. You know, he, he continues talking about them. He's asking God to, to turn his anger and his wrath away, to listen to the prayer and make his face shine, verse 17, on the desolate sanctuary, to see the city that's called by your name, and, and, and to, to restore them, to bless them again, to bring them back to the city, uh, to restore the sanctuary. Uh, and he's begging God for mercy and grace in this. Um, and then you can certainly see, you know, his passion in that. He's begging God to fulfill his promise, to bring them back, and to see what a terrible situation they're in, and to, to restore them. But what do you see that's impressive about this part of the prayer, the request part? 
his reason, the reason why he is asking for this. Why is he asking for this? Is because of the Lord's compassion and because the Lord's name has been, I don't know, dishonored, I guess. Exactly. He is worried about the Lord's reputation, the Lord's interests. He's asking for God to restore his city because that's how people look at God. So he's not asking so much from a self-interest standpoint. He's really concerned with the impact of this on God's purposes and God's reputation. You know, I think these parts of some of these prayers may just kind of go right over our head because it's like, do we even care about God's purposes and God's reputation and things like that? I mean, this would almost, I think, if we prayed this, seem manipulative. We're just kind of using this, hoping that that will, you know, have some kind of impact with God. But I don't detect that that's what Daniel's doing here at all. I think Daniel sincerely cares about those things. So we need to have more of a heart for God in that. You see that in Nehemiah's prayer too. Yes. He spends a lot of time explaining how unworthy they are and it wasn't on any sort of thing that they did that God should listen to his prayer. But he based the reason for God answering his prayer on the promise God had already made. Yes. So he prayed what he knew was already according to God's will and you can pray confidence that way. Absolutely. And that is also important to distinguish that from, you know, like trying to be manipulative. You know, like a little kid trying to explain to his parents why his way will, you know, be beneficial for them. Yes. Yes, exactly. I don't think this is manipulative at all on Daniel's part because he really did care about those things and that's what mattered to him. What else do you see in this that's impressive? I, I think oh, it's in, there, there's nothing at all selfish about uh, uh, his his prayer here. Uh, I, I think about, uh, of course, I've never been in a situation like that, but I think I'd want God to get me out of this. And Daniel has, he, he is he's not just concerned about God's glory and God's person, he's concerned about his people. He's concerned about Israel. Very good point. What does this, I mean, what kind of impact will God fulfilling this prayer have on Daniel anyway? I don't even know if Daniel went back. Remember how old he'd be by now? Or considerably older than any of us in here. I don't know if he had the ability to go back. Uh, but we know that he's still around in the third year of Cyrus in 10.1. I'm kind of guessing Daniel may just stay in Persia. So, who cares whether they go back or not? Who cares whether the sanctuary in the city get rebuilt or not? You know, I'm living fine. I mean, remember, he's, he's you know got a high position. He's well respected. You know, I mean, really in one sense, it's like, why does it bother Daniel? You really care whether God's people are doing well or not? You really care whether God's name and purpose is thriving or not? You know, so I think this is not self-interested in any way. It's not, it really wasn't Daniel's purpose. Daniel is not thinking, boy, I really want this, God. 
He's thinking, you promised and this is your will. This will honor your name. This will bless your people. That's what Daniel really cares about. We need to care more about the Lord and less about ourselves. Yes? I've always been somewhat extra impressed by Daniel in that way because among all these characters and among all these people, Daniel is given so much opportunity and is placed in such a position that I know for me would become kind of a, a an encumbrance in that way that you it wouldn't be as easy to focus on God's purpose in such a position as Daniel. You see the same thing with Joseph where he, he constantly says to interpret the stream is not in me, it is of God. And, and you think, man, God's laying it at your feet, and you are still keeping your mind where it needs to be. And that it impresses me, because I question whether I would be able to do the same thing in that position. Absolutely. So often when things go well for us, we don't care about God anymore. Exactly. We just needed him to get us out of a jam. And, you know, you don't see Joseph and Daniel, great, great examples, using God. They loved God. They cared about God. It, well, this wasn't, they weren't thinking, well, I'm doing fine, nothing else matters. But so often in our self-centeredness, you know, we just only want God for what he can do for us. And that, wow, how do you feel when people use you that way? Yeah, it's, you know, they're, they're just buttering you up, telling you what a great friend you are and everything as long as they need something from you. As soon as they get it, you're gone. You know, that, that's... We can do the same thing with the Lord, and that's wrong. Sir? This also, this whole section, um, the whole period of the captivity always reminds me of Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3, uh, which is at the end of the blessings and curses section. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Just that whole... This is a promise that God has made... What? thousand years before at this point roughly speaking mm -hmm. uh, and Daniel is still relying on that promise that we're in that position now this is what he was talking about one iteration of it at least and uh, I'm going to try I'm going to rely on that and that's what he's doing sure you can rely on God's promises even if they've been uh, a long time before when he made I think that when we look at passages like this and just how unselfish they are, that when we go to apply them to our own lives, that we we don't understand the, the point and we don't we don't read the actual message and so you you may have all the right words, you may be able to pray all the right words, but if your heart isn't in it and that, that reminds me of Matthew seven, twenty one through twenty three, when you know, when we get to heaven and we're going to say, didn't we prophesy your name? Didn't you know? Didn't we love you? Um, but you know, God's gonna God's gonna tell those people that you know, if you didn't have the right heart, if you weren't 
praying to him, if you aren't asking for forgiveness, if you aren't worshiping him in the right way, if you didn't have the heart of David, then all that you did, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's easy to say nice words. But you really get the impression in this prayer that Daniel's just kind of mumbling through kind of a pre-memorized jingle. You know, I mean, wow. I think especially verse 19, it's hard to read that uh, without raising your voice. (laughs) You know, he was pleading with God. He cared. This is a heartfelt prayer, very much. I'm also impressed with the end of verse 18. We're not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. I mean, Daniel's acknowledging again, we don't really have any merits to plead on the basis of. Nor do we. You know, all we can do is appeal to God's mercy. We can't we can't say, well, God, I've just been such a faithful, loyal servant of yours. Surely you've got to do this for me. But you appreciate Daniel's recognition of that fact. Sir? He sounds desperate. And, and very, you know, this is a matter of some urgency to him. It's not... Desperate is the only word that comes to mind. I mean... Do not delay. Please, Lord, do this, do this, kind of thing. It's not, he sees it as an immediate need, not something that, you know, you can get around to this sometime. Just to add to that point, like, you think about the way people say things, and the way things just naturally come out. You you talk about this not being some pre-written jingle, there's a lot of what would seem, it's not exact repetition, but he just kind of talks about the same things multiple times. Yes. And you, you think about the way a person says something when they're just outpouring. And never is it this, unless they're very just gifted in this way, but rarely is it this structured thing that comes out. It's this somewhat in a, beautiful in its own way, just outpouring of the same idea of just over again and then you see this prayer in this way in verse 19 even you have these these little exclamations that it's not necessarily poetic it's it's what he's it's desperation i guess is the word that he's he's earnest yeah Yeah. amen good point alex we've already kind of talked about this a little bit but especially in verse 19 Daniel's praying for so many things that, like, God's already said that he'll do to them. He'll already hear their prayers if they're, if they're repentant. And he will forgive them. He will, you know, take them back. But he still prays for those things. And even before that, he says, listen to this prayer. And I don't know, I mean, a shame, shame on me, but, like, I don't know how many times that I've asked God to listen to my prayer. Like... I just, He's just supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in his job description. Listen yeah. to prayer. <laughs> so there's so many things that I know we, especially myself, need to be working on that God's already said that He'll do for me and do for us, but we just take it for granted. We don't. We don't even pray for those things. Taking God for granted is a big issue, and that's an excellent point. I agree. It's been commented about praying according to God's will. How, how are we supposed to do that in matters where we're not certain on what 
God's desire is, someone's health, someone's pursuit of a job, how do we, is there, is there a way to incorporate the same approach in situations like that when we pray to God? Well, I mean, obviously we would certainly say, God, your will be done. And I mean, there have been times when I've said, I don't know what that is. But you do. <laughs> and, you know, I think we might be able to talk about some of our concerns. You know, we're concerned about a person's relationship with God and their spiritual growth and things like that. And so we want God to certainly work out the thing that will bring the clo- person closer to Him, maybe give the person more opportunities to serve or whatever. And you can do things like that that you know are God's will. But I think sometimes we don't know what to pray. You know, we don't, and so we ask God's will to be done. And often, when we think we know, we still ask God's will to be done. You know, because we might be wrong. Yes. Kind of going on along with that, in verse 16, he says, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, or your righteousnesses. And that is interesting to me, that Daniel has such a wonderful concept, a good grasp on God's righteousness and what that means. Because he asked for all these, it seems like he asked for all these things in that context, and realizes that, you know, God doesn't and won't, shouldn't have to, you know, violate his nature. He's not just asking him for this one thing. He's asking it just because he's asking it in accordance to, you know, God's character and His will. And I think that's really brave because, in all reality, it doesn't seem like these people, these people don't deserve to be let go and, you know, return home. But he's saying, in accordance with, I guess I almost interpreted it almost as your will, but in accordance with your goodness and your character, please grant this request. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it weren't for that, we'd have no hope. You know, it's mm-hmm. only based upon those qualities of God that we can ask Him and we can have any hope that He would love <laughs> Good point. Other thoughts? Sarah? On, on John's point, I wonder if it, it, it sounds strange, but I wonder does it make sense to like lay out the pros and cons of the new job or something and, and say something to the effect <coughs> of, okay, God, it seems to me that this is the path that I should take, but I'll take whatever path you want me to. That's what I want. But if it, you don't want me to go this way, which is where I think I should go, then help me to understand it. You know, Bring me to a greater understanding of what you really want me to do. Uh, just laying all that out. Because, I mean, we talk about the detail that's in this prayer of, of confessing sins, but then whenever we're talking about the detail in just talking with God and saying, Okay, this is how it seems to me. This is, it's like talking to, uh, talking to a counselor and, and laying it out, and it's not just thinking it through. Very good point. Uh, I will do injustice to this, but I remember an article many years ago, Sewell Hall wrote, where he talked about how, this is my own wording, so don't blame him for all this, but, but basically I understood it as this. You know, sometimes what we do is we think through all of our situations. We, you know, get advice, we reason through, and we decide, here's the best things. And then we go to God and we say, here's what I want you to do. 
I got it worked out. This is what, as opposed to bringing God in long before when we're in the middle of the situation and we're searching for solutions. You know, it's not just that we, we come to God with a shopping list, you know, because now we figured it out. Why aren't we talking things over with God, you know, all along and asking his help in understanding what would be the right thing to, to ask for and to pray for? I think talking things over with God is the right thing. Um, one thing I think we do also is when we do have the right mindset and we do got, we go to God in prayer, we throw it out everything before Him. We say, God, please help me make the right decision. Okay, what is it? You know, it's like, <laughs> come on, I'm ready. I, I prayed to you. I, I'm trusting you, but I need to know right now. Uh, and recently, um, in one of the camps, the Georgia camp, they did the Nehemiah theme. And um, in studying that book again, I found out between chapter 1 and chapter 2, Nehemiah is praying and fasting for four months, yeah. and he has no solution. And, I mean, I don't know if I've done that before, having something that's pressing on my mind for four months, and continually going to God in prayer and saying, I trust in you, I know you're going to find a way to do this, but I'm waiting for whatever you have. It's hard to wait that long, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, Josiah. I don't know exactly how late verse one puts this and what Daniel's position would have been, but I'm assuming that this is about as late as anything recorded from Daniel. Two years later, ten to twelve. So this is okay. Um, in chapter five, he's kind of out of the picture from where he was back in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. But even still, he was a pretty powerful man in the kingdom. And if he read that God had prophesied that the people were going to get to go back, you know, in the days of Ezra 1, he's already seen the Persians do this when, he, when they first came. He knows that they have the power to do this. But instead of running the king to take care of this from a political circumstance, the first thing he does is not even worry about the king. You wouldn't even know who the king was if it weren't for verse 1. But he runs straight to God because he, got, he knows God is his only hope. And then 2, in, verse, in verses 16 and 20, he mentions, he mentions in verse 16 that one of the reasons he wants God to turn away his wrath is because of his holy mountain. He mentions later on in verse 20 that the whole reason that he's praying this prayer and offering supplication is on behalf of the holy mountain. And one of the implications in Deuteronomy 4, 27 and 28 of captivity was that they had to worship these other gods. And he's come to the realization, obviously, like he's known from the very beginning of Daniel, that these gods are not enough. You know, he wants to be able to worship his god. And so just a total dependence throughout this section on God. God is his first thought. God's the first thing you go into. He's not going to do any political leader or the most powerful man in the world because he knows he really can't help. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, is God our first uh, resort or our last resort? Tried everything else, I'll see if God can do anything. You know, that is not the way we all see those things at all. And Nehemiah is a good illustration of that, praying for the four months before he even talked to you know, the king about it. Uh, we just need to see our dependence on God so much more. Gary, I think I read the article that you were talking about back to the hall about, um, you know, including God in your decision-making process. And 
whatever article I read, if it was the same one, I think he also talked about how when you are praying to God about something, you are thinking more spiritually. And, you know, I think this is true for me even, like, when I'm telling my mom something, some idea that I have, and I'm like, oh, I think I should do da 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 and I get, like, halfway through the explanation, and I'm like, oh, that's really stupid. Like, just because <laughs> I'm telling my mom, she doesn't have to say anything, but me talking to her makes me realize sure. that's not a good idea. And I think what that was the point that he was trying to make in the article, well, one of them was that, when you're talking to God, you're focused on spiritual things, and it's going to help you make the better decision just because you talk to God about it. Well, absolutely. You're exactly right. There's probably some things you'd be kind of embarrassed to uh, say uh, when you're talking to God, you know, I really want this to be a whole lot more fun, or, you know, <laughs> or worse, you know. So, good point. To just throw a little more support on to his point, if you look at Ezra 4 and Ezra 5, you've got the building of the temple. And in Ezra 4, you know, the, the, the other people, they want to come and build with them. And they say, and the Jews say, you have nothing in common with us in building the house to our God. But we ourselves will together build the, to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So it's all about them. And then if you look over the second time after um, Haggai and Zechariah you know, are talking to them, then the, the whole response is, uh, I can find it. It starts out with in verse 11, 511, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago which a great king of Israel built and finished. And then they go into confessing their sins. This is why we were sent away. And then there's this decree. But it's because we're the servants of God that that's why we're doing it. And that, that whole, you know, that's what Daniel's looking at. This is something to do with God. This, this King Cyrus, yeah, great, thanks. But that's not what I'm depending on. And I really hope that sounds familiar to my star people. Uh, no, she's rolling her eyes. Okay. <laughs> uh, very good. Other thoughts? Cameron. I like how he comes to Daniel comes to God before it, the time for them to actually be sent back, the time that God promised. Not after, like, come to him and be like, you're late, what happened? But to be keeping in touch with him and not just missing him when he says he'll do something. Good point. Yeah. Kind of like the fact that Daniel's reading Jeremiah. That's cool. <laughs> Who, you know, hadn't written that book a whole lot uh, before this. So. Well, what about 20 to 23? Now while I speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God while I was still speaking in prayer then the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision previously came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering he gave me instruction and talked with me and said O Daniel I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, 
and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Okay. Daniel is still praying. He's still confessing. And he's still speaking in the prayer. And what happens? Yeah. This, this man Gabriel. Now we know Gabriel, right? He was a man in appearance at this point. But who? what was he? He was an angel. One of only two angels that have a name in the Bible. Michael being the other. Uh, but Gabriel's found quite a few times in the Bible. And... Uh, He's, he comes to Daniel. Why does he come? Yes, exactly. Uh, Gabriel's going to explain some things to him. He's going. He's communicating uh, a message from God uh, for Daniel in connection with what Daniel has been praying. So you know. It's kind of cool that Daniel didn't just have a five-second prayer which it might have been difficult for Gabriel to catch him in the middle of the prayer. He's praying a while, and he was still praying when Gabriel got there. And uh, he's going to reveal some things to him that will give him more insight and understanding about this matter of the 70 years being up in Jeremiah. Comments and questions? just kind of cool that it was, you know, at the beginning of your of your prayers, of your supplications, the command was given. Right? Yeah. You started praying, and yeah. the command was given, and I was supposed to come, and here I am. Okay, so, sit back, relax. We're going to talk about it. It's almost at the beginning of your prayer, before you even asked anything, the command was given to give you the answer. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's kind of characteristic of the Lord. You know, a lot of his answering of prayers is started long before we pray it. Ever thought about that? Do you think about how God answers prayers? Sometimes, you know, some things had to be happening long before you prayed the prayer to get that answer to occur. And um, there's a passage somewhere. I don't remember where it is. Uh, for sure, where it talks about that idea of sort of God answering the prayer before we ask it. I think it was Isaiah 19, but I don't see it in here right now, so um, anyhow. Alright, other questions and comments and thoughts on all that? I think it goes to show that it's uh, another point, say that it's not about the words, and it's not about, okay, you said you said the magic words, you said just this right thing, okay, now it's going to happen. It was truly a matter of the heart and a matter of persistence. Sure. Sure. And a matter of this being the will of God. I just, it automatically struck me as just so, just really cool that this would happen to a person that the first thing he says is, I come to give you insight and understanding. And what we were just talking about was how we want insight and understanding so much and how we pray. God, help us understand this in these major decisions. And here's God offering it up. And maybe sometimes we, without realizing and think, this is just beyond us. God's not, we're not worthy of this help from God. But we see God saying, no, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you what wisdom you need. And we see that supported by the New Testament as well. Where, you know, we, we seek this. Um, we can have confidence that it's going to be there and offered, and God is generous in that. Amen.
good point. Cameron? And I also like how um, how he comes and tells him, not just tells him in his works, but he comes and shows Daniel what he's doing and what he's going to do and gives him insight, not just, look, I've done it. He's saying somebody to tell him. Sure. Yeah, and Daniel is blessed greatly here and throughout the, the rest of the book with revelations that really show what God is doing and are going to be a blessing to him in future generations as well to understand what God's purpose and, and what God's action is going to be over the next several centuries. Other thoughts? Um, in verse 21, it talks about Gabriel came in my extreme weariness and it's almost like God said okay you need to get there right before he quits I mean he's been doing this and, and praying and and but he's not he's not going to give up but he's going to be really tired and he's going to want to so here's when the answer is going to come and it, it's almost like you don't you have to be persistent and not not give up. I mean, is that... Yeah, I think it's a good point. You know, why would Daniel have been so weary? All he was doing was praying. <laughs> you know, does that tell us anything about uh, prayer? I mean, I remember, um, you know, passages like uh, Ephesians or uh, Colossians 4.12 where Paphras is laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. You know, whoever thought of prayer as being hard work? You know, well, that probably tells you something about the nature of our praying. Yeah, Mitch. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it means, um, but I, I think it's interesting, verse 23, that the angel tells him that he's highly esteemed. Um, that God or angels or there are spiritual beings that think highly of Daniel. Yeah, good point. Also may tell you something again about the fact that, I mean, Daniel's character is not exactly fitting with the acted wickedly sort of thing. You know, that, that you know, Daniel really was a righteous man. He certainly was a sinner. Uh, but, you know, this is an amazing prayer for Daniel to have prayed. Other comments and thoughts? All right, well, why don't we uh, stop here rather than getting into the 70 weeks tonight? That'll be much better anyway. Yeah, yeah. Josiah's going to come back uh, two weeks. He's going to come back in two weeks when we have the class again and tell us all about the 70.